You are now listening to Teachable Moments with Deja Milan. Teachable Moments with Deja Milan. Today, I have the amazing Dr. Marky Twist with us. Hello. Hey. Hey, Deja. Hi, everybody. So happy that you had the time. I know you're a very, very busy lady, so I do appreciate, you know, the time that you're taking out of your day to come do this with us. Yeah, it's an honor. I am really excited to talk about some teachable moments and some fun stuff with you and your listeners. Wonderful. So... You know, like, what got you into what you do now? Can you tell the audience who you are and, you know, what you do? Yep. Yeah, totally. So I am I actually do everything in the world of sexuality except the professional side of having sex. So <laughs> I do sex research, sex therapy, and sex education. Um, and I do that in a couple different settings. So I go around to different parts of the world and do different trainings on how to do therapy with consensually non-monogamous or polyamorous uh, folks. And also how to work with genderqueer and transgender folks and gay, lesbian, pretty much the whole queer identity. That's one of the main areas. Right. Um, and I also go around and do talks on digisexualities. So, and what is that? Uh, so digisexuality is anything related to technology and sex. Um, okay. And yeah, so first wave would be things like um, sexting, right? When okay. people were just doing sexting. And then first wave might also be watching um, an online adult film. That would be a form of digisexuality. Um, and now we're getting into second wave, which is more like the virtual reality set. Right, which is amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard it's really challenging to film for lots yes. of different reasons. Yes. So I appreciate the effort that goes into that. And I, I hope consum- consumers appreciate that too. Right. Um, and also like uh, sex dolls. And actually, we, my colleagues and I think about robot sex too. So what's that going to look like? Um, what will that mean? Will people want to have sex with robots that look like people or will they have interest in robots that look more like robots and things we can't even imagine people wanting? I think guys would. I think guys would want the, the robots that look like people. Cause you know, yeah. the, the blow up doll, the rubber dolls, you know, all those are a huge, you know, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, too. And and I think it'll be interesting, too. One of the things, my colleague, Neil MacArthur at uh, University of Manitoba, he's, like, world-renowned on this topic, but on robot sex specifically, like, wrote a wow. book and everything. There's that many people that want to know about it, but there right. you go. He He's curious about things like, will you need, like, a a license agreement or some sort of consent from someone to make a robot that looks like them? Um, oh, and, okay. Yeah, and I don't know if we will, because imagine there could be 
a whole bunch of robots out there that look like you or look like right, me or right. look like, you know. And so that's an interesting area that's emerging. And then the other area I go around and do is um, tantric sex workshops. And I do that with my partner. Um, and these last two areas are actually what we're going to be doing at the Adult Film Festival in Las Vegas. We'll be doing a workshop on tantric sex. And then I'll be doing a talk on digisexuality. So, awesome. Those are going to be um, amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It'll be super great. I'm really yeah. excited about it. But yeah. It, yeah. So my whole job really is about teaching, therapy, research. I, I work out of the University of Wisconsin system. And then I have private work on the side. So okay. I've been doing this work, work like this, since as far back as 1999, which dates me and makes me a lot older. Well, that's <laughs> actually the year that I got into porn. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah January 1999. Yeah, right? Yeah, totally. We are. We are. Awesome. Yeah. What made you want to get into this field of study? Yeah, so I grew up in Houston, Alaska, which no one's going to have any idea where that is. Um, no, <laughs> I don't. No, no one else will either unless they're from there. It's a really small village, but it's in Alaska. There's a lot of villages that aren't connected by the road system, but this one is. Um, we had 700 people. Um, we were about 70 miles north of Anchorage, and everybody will know the next town I say, which was the closest town, which was Wasilla. And the only reason you're going to know that is because of Sarah Palin. Okay. Otherwise, otherwise no one would know where that is either. So could you um, see Russia? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only, in the Lisa, only in the Lisa Ann version where they oh play. okay <laughs> yeah, yeah I could see Russia a whole bunch of it in that video <laughs> but otherwise no you can't see it from where I live there are there in her defense not that I'm defending her but there is a couple places in Alaska where you can see actually Siberia but not where she lives and not where I lived right um, and I grew up in the 70s in Alaska out in this small community with really liberal, hippie uh, parents um, who just were really sex positive and really very kind of more European. That's about wonderful. How they yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're very, yeah. the Europeans are definitely very more free. I'm Irish, French, and German, so I think that's where, and I'm a Scorpio, so I think that's where my sexual sexuality and, you know, strong sexual side comes from, definitely. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I grew up in a, my dad's 100% Norwegian. His family immigrated over to the U.S. very recently. My mom's a German, Jewish, and Basque and English, and it just was a, a house of asking questions and being curious and about all sorts of things, sexuality, uh, you know, drugs, religion. Like my parents were just very like, we, we would rather you have answers and know where to find stuff out than hide stuff from you and, and create a culture where you don't feel safe talking with us. Right. So it was just, I never thought it was weird. I never thought it was weird to ask about sex. I didn't think it was weird to talk about it. I thought that was normal. And then I got to college in Arizona and realized that I'd just grown up in an anomaly bubble out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and <laughs> thought everybody else was like me, and they weren't. So I, I taught a, I was a teaching assistant for a large human sexuality class in Arizona, and there was 300 students. And I really started to realize before then I was going to be an attorney. This is insane. Oh, I thought wow. I was going to be like. 
That's a big jump, you know, difference. Yeah. <laughs> the lambs. You remember this? Do you remember? The what? Remember Silence of the Lambs? Oh, yes. Silence of the Lambs? Yes. Okay. I thought I'd be Jodie Foster, like this <laughs> FBI profiler. <laughs> I mean, she also is really hot. I could see wanting to be her or do her. Right. But, but I thought I'd be her. And then I started being a TA for this class. And one day in the shower where all good, you know, events happen, um, <laughs> I was thinking, I don't want to catch bad guys. I don't want to be around bad guys. I really just want an excuse to talk about sex for the rest of my life and be paid for that. And so then I ended up, you know, going into the sex therapy field and then over time got certified as a sexuality educator. Um, and now I've been doing this work just, gosh, like 15 years or something ridiculous like we talked about. Well, we are very so, happy that you did, <laughs> that you chose yeah, this profession. Happy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think in, in a sex-related field is really empowering at the end of the day. And I, I like helping people become more comfortable um, yes. with what I see as a basic human right and need. Um, yeah, yeah, I always see that people are, you know, inhibited, that they don't allow their sexuality to come forth and express themselves. And to me, that is so sad because we were born sexual beings. It's why yeah. our it's why our genitalia is sensitive as opposed to our fingertips or our nose. You know, I mean that you know, I've always said that. So yeah. I, I agree with totally. you on that most definitely. That's totally spot on. And when we see babies even in utero, I mean, a lot of the times we can't a lot of times doctors will and uh people that, that read um you know, the sonograms and the ultrasounds, they won't be able to even tell if it's a baby with a penis because the baby's hands are covering the penis the whole entire time. Because even in utero, people with penises are touching their penises, like, even before they come <laughs> wow. the world. Speaking I mean, of babies and pregnancy, you know, one thing when I was pregnant, I didn't realize that when the woman has an orgasm, when a pregnant woman has an orgasm, that baby can feel it. Any sensation... <gasps> That, that she goes through, they do too. I, w I was dating this guy. I was like probably about eight months pregnant. And he was just giving me multiple orgasms one night. And my son yeah. was kicking like crazy the entire time. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I went to the doctor and I was like, what is going on? And he's like, your baby feels everything that you do. I was like, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Amazing. Yes. And who doesn't want like that opportunity to share that flood of like oxytocin right. and endorphins and you know, I mean that's a beautiful thing yeah. to share with another human, even one that's inside you. That's right. beautiful. So right. yeah, I think it's amazing. When I, I had a very similar experience in pregnancy only only I would orgasm. I had more nocturnal dreams, like nocturnal orgasms during pregnancy than at <laughs> any other point in my whole life. <laughs> that baby, that, I don't know if the baby was like already really sexual internally or something. I have no idea. But I would wake up and just be like, oh my goodness. Woo, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, 
how is this happening and why? And right. why is it like every night? <laughs> right, right. I know. Yeah, our bodies are amazing things, most definitely. They really are, right? They yeah. really are. So I think even just more knowledge about like what you just shared, like more knowledge about how our bodies intersect with pregnancy and the influence that has on the little beings that we're creating. I mean, that's wonderful. And so few people have access to that kind of information, yes, right? It, yes. It's, they inhibit so themselves, think, you know, both emotionally and physically, or they get preconceived notions of how things are supposed to go or be. And that's sad, you know, open your mind. Don't, you don't know everything. None of us do. Oh God, no, right? Just when I think, I teach a large human sexuality class now it's like 120 students and they're all these really doe-eyed like undergrads, you know, full of like curiosity and wonderment. And I tell them at the beginning of the semester, I'm like, hey, listen, you're going to be exposed to and learn so many things in this class that you never even knew you didn't know about sexuality. Right. And I said, and, and I will too. Like just when I think I've heard everything, I find out something else. Like, some some new client comes in, they've got like a new kink or a fetish, and I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. When I used to shoot, when I first started my production company in 2006, 2007, I would do uh, custom video requests, and I would get like um, ear fetish from Japan. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how the fuck do I shoot ear fetish right now? I mean, so then I had to stop and I had to think, okay, you've been to Japan before, Deja. What are they into? Okay, they're into shibari, which is bondage and tying up and they're into humiliation. So, so I was like, all right, so maybe what you can do to my mail counter who was shooting the scene with me, you know, maybe you can tie me up to a chair in the kitchen and use like barbecue tongs or salad tongs or something and torture my ears that way. Well, apparently yeah. that's what they were looking for, I guess, because I sold <laughs> multiple of those kinds of clips. I, that's amazing. But see, that's just it. Like probably before that request, you were like, I never really thought about this much before. I mean, the amount of diversity in human experience when it comes to sexuality is pretty endless. And that's that's why my job, probably your job, lots of people's related to the world of sexuality, it, it never gets boring because you're like, how did I not know about that? I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, there is literally a fetish for every single body part on the human being. Absolutely. And then, of course, all the items, you know, everything. It's just things we can do with our bodies. I just can't even. It's always amazing. And my students are always shocked because they're like, oh, what do you mean? You don't know everything. I'm like, well, I know I'm old, but <laughs> trust me. Like, I, I don't know everything. I mean, right. And if I could talk to myself at 20, I'd be like, wow, you think you know something now, you know, doll. Just wait till you get a little older and you're going to be like, oh. What? <laughs> Talk exactly. about teachable moments, right? That's yeah. Really, that's really what it is. <laughs> so go that's ahead awesome. and um, tell us, like, you know, the first thing that you had wanted to talk about that, you know, you think that people should be educated on that they might not necessarily think about in a day or know. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think probably the first thing I like to either teach people or when I'm doing therapy with people, I like to really make sure they understand that that whatever they experience sexually, whether it's asexuality, um, you know, bisexuality, consensual non-monogamy, uh, if it is some sort of kink or fetish, that that's just the broad range of human sexuality, and it's okay. Yes. A lot of normalization is important. Like people, the biggest question people have about sex is, you know, am I normal? Um, is is this okay? Is it okay? Um, that I am interested in being bitten or bound up? Is it okay that I masturbate five times a day, you know, a day? Is, is this okay? And, and I just like to tell people, well, yeah, there's a, there's a broad range and, and everything's okay. The only time it's not okay is if it doesn't feel right for you. So you don't feel like it's consensual or you're engaging in practices with someone else where it doesn't feel consensual from their point of view either. So, the biggest thing I stress with people is it's normal. Almost everything sexuality-wise is normal. If you can think You're not a that, freak. You're not, you know, yeah. You're totally not a freak at all. And not only that, but, but the only time you need to really be anxious about things is, is if it's a consent issue. And, and I say, and even then, you've got people who are into consensual non-consent play. And... And that's a whole other like gambit of reality. So, oh my goodness! And so many. Yeah. There's so many avenues. You, we would be here for thirty hours <laughs> talking about right, anything. Yeah, but I just think normalizing is important. Um, I end up having a lot of clients, you know, with vulvas or female identifying folks who really still struggle with like um, orgasm and. Um, not, you know, they don't know how to masturbate. No one's ever talked with them about that. Um, they feel like that's, there's something wrong or dirty. And this yeah. is even like younger women, right? you know, yeah, like, the dirty part, especially. Yeah. Because society, you know, is like, Shh, it's taboo. Don't talk about it. You know, you're, yeah. you're a horrible person if you express your sexuality to yourself or anyone else. And, you know, again, that comes back to the inhibition and it's just so sad. Yeah. And we were raised, I mean, you're totally aware of this. We're raised in this weirdly sex negative, sex silent culture on the one hand. But then on the other hand, everybody's supposed to be really good at sex when they finally have it. And, you know, it's it's glorified. So it's this weird double bind that people are in. Yes, and it, but it's, it's glorified behind closed doors. As long as nobody knows you're doing it, exactly. then you're fine. But you have somebody like me who don't care, who lets my sexuality be known, then I'm a slut. I'm a whore. I'm a, right. you know, I'm a this, I'm a that. And that right. people need to get off of that stereotype because, again, we yeah. were all born sexual. If you're not comfortable that's with right. who you are, that's fine. That's but don't inhibit the next person. That's right. Don't shame the next person for their own sexual awakening and empowerment because that's that's really what people who are comfortable with sex are usually expressing is empowerment. And especially so, when that person that is putting somebody down is doing way more behind closed doors than the person that they're putting down. That's yeah, what I've experienced. The hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That hypocrisy is unbelievable, right? Yeah. So... So the poor young women and older women that I see, um, they really are struggling with just like 
I've never orgasmed. I don't know how to orgasm. I don't even know what my genitalia look like, which to me becomes risky from a health point of view even. Right. Um, and then if they do even engage in like self-love or self-sex, if they watch things that are related to the adult film industry, then they feel shame around that too, because they think something's wrong with that because women shouldn't enjoy watching adult film. And I'm like, I, I actually can't stand the way that society has sent yes. those messages. So um, I have a question for you. What, yeah. What would you tell if you had a client that was a male who came to you and said, you know, my wife is or my girlfriend is really inhibited and I want to kind of show her new things, but I wanted us to sit down and maybe watch a porn or something so she can get a visual aspect of what I'm talking about. How would you how would you recommend him approach her? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is one of the benefits to adult content that a lot of people don't recognize is the educational component, which can really be helpful to a relationship. Not only that, but there's actually research that shows that couples who watch adult film together, they feel closer, they feel more satisfied in their sex life, and they feel more connected. That's so. Yeah. So that's one of the things I work on in couples therapy. When people present with like, I don't like that he watches porn or I don't like that she does or whatever the configuration, same gender, it doesn't matter. I'm like, really, that's so interesting because have you ever watched it together? Because this is what the research shows. Um, much like when you just do something silly, like put on a YouTube video and show it to your partner and you both laugh together. Right. Um, this is that shared experience. I think, and, and I, you know what, I think shared is definitely the right word there. I think that people yes. feel offended when they're feeling left out. It's like yeah. you, you want to make yourself happy or please yourself to this, but you're not including right. me in it. So, you know, that guys, is. I would bet you that your girls or your wives or whoever, your partners, would be more receptive and willing to try it if you just make them feel included. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, like, going back to your scenario of this guy who's like, I want to try this thing with my partner but, you know, I would have to show them, I think, like this film in order to explain it and then we could try it. Like I would think, hey, maybe you approach it just like that. Hey, there's this thing I really want to do with you right. because I enjoy being with you and I don't know how else to explain it to you or show it to you other than to show you this video and then we could try it if you want to. And maybe, unbeknownst to him... Maybe his partner has similar ideas and he just doesn't know it. Like, right, right. We, we never know what people are really into in part because yes. they don't talk about it. No. And they're afraid when they do talk about it, they're going to get shamed for it. Yeah, or whatever judgment. The case may be. Judgment. No judgment. Yeah. Yes. And what, what you come to find out is your partner might look at you and be like, what, you too? I had no idea you were into, like, unicorn cosplay. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just, and now that I know that, you know, yay. I mean, so. <laughs> Let's my little pony this bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were a pony. Let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. 
I mean, we just don't know. And so, but I do think a lot of times the couples I work with, that's actually harder work than the individual in many ways, because trying to break down those walls of not feeling safe, talking about sex, not communicating about needs, right. um, fear of not being perfect. And, and I say to people, do you have any idea? Like when you're watching people in the adult film industry, they do this. Like they know what they're doing. I mean, if I went to your job and watched you, you do your job, you do your job a certain way too. And it would be like exactly how you're supposed to do it. Right. I'm like, it, it's a job. Right. Right. I'm like in the, in the non-adult film industry, when people do action, you know, action series, they're stunt people. They're like doing that. You're not going to run out and go try to do the things that are done in James Bond, you right. know? Like, right. It's fantasy. It's in part fantasy, which which is the really fun part about it, you know. So I just think that really helping couples talk about sex, talk about their own needs, talk about their desires, distinguish between, you know, this is a need, a want, a desire, a fantasy, making distinctions, that's important. Yeah, that communication. And you know what? Another thing that I would like to touch base on is yeah. – don't feel ashamed or embarrassed about literally physically showing that person you're with what you want them to do. Like if a guy's going down on a woman and she's like, okay, I want you to lick me here. I want you to put your fingers there. Don't get mad. Don't yell and scream and say, I know what I'm doing. You may know what you're doing with other people. But you're not necessarily going to know what you're doing with me or with her or whatever. So you got to get in tune with what the person who's sitting in front of you is is accustomed to and what gets them off. You know, I had a guy one time that did that to me. He got really mad because I was like, I want you to do it like this. I wasn't like holding his hand and cupping his face and, you know, being um yeah accommodating but i wasn't rude either you know i was like look this is what i like yeah, yeah exactly and then he was like i know what to do i was like no you know how to please these other bitches i'm telling you <laughs> what you need to do for me <laughs> this is what i like exactly right. and that can be sexy too right so so when someone's telling us what they like that can easily be turned into, hey, it's hot that you're telling me what you want me to do. And you know? I know in the back of my mind that what I'm going to do right now, because you just told me, is going to turn you the fuck on, which is going to get me even more pleasure because you're going to reciprocate. That's right. Exactly. But people are so, I really think they're so afraid of not being perfect or not knowing how to talk about things that it's hard for them to you know, actually have those conversations about what they like and want. I mean, one of the things we do in our Tantra workshop, and I, I recommend this to couples outside of that too, like I tell them about it, is this activity called Mirror Mirror. Um, and so basically uh, you, and some of this works because you're not telling people, you're showing them, so it creates less defensiveness. Because for some reason, when we use our mouths to talk, Sometimes people get defensive and trying right. to listen, right? So what you do is you say, you know, you do this activity where um, I first tell couples like, okay, you can't touch any of the big three areas that you normally would sexually. So no penal contact, no vaginal contact, no buttocks, you know, no breasts. So those four areas are off limits. 
but yeah, now it sounds like not so much fun, but just wait. (laughs) No, it's the build up because Tantra is an experience. I do. I've done my, I branded like my own form of Tantra that I do with guys that I'm with. I love Tantra. It's amazing. I can't wait till we talk about it. It's so fun. And so like we do this activity where I say, okay, you're after we've already done like the meditation and the long breaths and the eye gazing and the heart sutras and gotten connected. I say, now I want you to show your partner on any part of their body, not those four areas, but on their body and other areas, a spot that you find erotic. Show them with your mouth, show them with your hands, right? And I say, show them, and they then have to do that back to you as if it's a mirror image, right? Right. And then they take turns doing this for about three or four exchanges. And this is wonderful because people start to learn like, oh my gosh, I had, well, here we go. I had no idea you had an ear thing. You know, I didn't know that your ear is the most like erotic place on your body because I've been so focused on like the parts that we're taught are sexual when really there's a lot of other places on our bodies that like to be touched, that we like to feel close to people through. Right. So that actually alone is just, really powerful and then of course we move into genital contact in the other areas and still doing right. mirror, mirror mirror but it's so powerful to watch people be like oh i mean <laughs> i didn't know your hand was sexy <laughs> and those are activities you can do other places pretty easily i mean we don't all live in like a nude resort you know right right but- we can be out in public and reach across the table and start touching our partner on their hand in the way that that we know turns them on. Right. And that might be, like, so powerful that they're like, okay, I can't even eat this food. We have to go right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and don't we all want that? I mean, don't. Most definitely. Don't at the end of the day, that is most definitely what we want. We want to know that we are turning on and satisfying you know, that one person that we are interested or the many people that we're interested, but whoever's sitting in front of us. That's right. We do. We want to feel connected and we want that to happen in ways that that are sustainable. I mean, most people, um, even multi-partnered folks, don't. it's not that they want to run out usually and have new partners literally all the time. That's exhausting a lot of the time. Right. Most people want to feel a deep sense of connection to one or several people, but they want some consistency. I mean, life is unpredictable enough as it is. It's nice to have some people that act as support systems for us, and that includes sexual support. I mean... To me, that's like as basic a need as like eating, drinking, sleeping, you know, and sex. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you've it all. what? I said you've nailed it all. Those are the things we need, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, walk us through, um, you know, a typical tantra session. Like somebody who's never heard of it or they've heard of it but maybe they don't know what it's about you know I always say it's an experience I always tell the people that I'm with that this I can't explain to you it's like trying to explain what going to Disneyland is going to be like you know you you cannot yeah yeah, you cannot I cannot possibly tell you what you're about to experience because it is literally an experience and it's about turning off certain senses which will in turn heighten others 
Yeah, that's well, that's it. You've nailed it. I mean, yeah, a typical session that that Ryan and I do uh, pretty much looks like this. Um, we invite people to the session. Um, we have people start actually through focusing on themselves first, um, because I feel like if you can't get centered in your own um, wellness in your own sexual well-being, it's really hard to connect with another person or people. Um, so we do some deep breathing, some meditative exercises first. I have people start visualizing like their sexual energy moving um, throughout their body in different areas. Um, and then and then we turn to each other, um, partner to partner, um, and start breathing connected to each other. Um, there's a lot of eye gazing, right? So this is just the warm up, feeling connected. And you're right; it is. You can't really predict because it goes in really deep areas that you just didn't think were going to happen. I mean, it's not. It's definitely not like fast food sex. This is like fine dining, five course meal. You have to have tons of time to do it. The uh, bill comes food. and it's five hundred dollars. <laughs> That's right. Fast food sex is the quickie that you do, like you know, before you have to start your day. This is not that. This is like send the kids away, have plenty of time. I mean, it's going to take a while. So then we do heart sutras where we touch each other's hearts and deep breathe together and feel each other's connection. Um, and then from there, we typically move into, um, something that some people love and other people find really uncomfortable, but then love, we move into usually a breath play where you share each other's breath. You go back and forth, um, and not breath play in other ways that that can be taken, um, but breath play and that you exchange breaths so that you're breathing together. And then we do a four minute kiss, um, which is it feels like an absolute eternity. Uh, there's enough time to like love it and then forget what you're doing and then remember what you're doing and be like, whose mouth is this again? <laughs> oh yeah, right. That's my mouth. Okay, I got it. I mean, it's just, it goes in weird directions, really weird directions. And I tell the, the participants, I'm usually like, Hey, listen, if you ever played seven minutes in heaven where you went into a closet and made out with someone for like seven minutes, this is the closest thing you're going to get to that in like adulthood, right? Because <laughs> how often do we kiss people for four minutes? That's right, so right, weird. right. Weird. So then from there, we start getting into the mirror, mirror activities that I already outlined. Um, and then we eventually move into kind of demonstrating we're clothes and stuff because we're professional educators. Yes. Um, but uh, we start demonstrating some of the different basic tantra poses, ones that connect with different parts of people's bodies and senses. Um, and then we move into some more advanced ones for people that, that are physically capable of doing those kinds of more advanced yoga postures. And sometimes what we'll also do is a bit more sensory play. So we'll have people blindfold during um, mirror, mirror, so they can experience those sensations differently. Yes. Sometimes we'll use hot and cold touch so that people can experience those sensations differently. Um, but it's really been, you know, we've only been at these workshops for about a year. And it is remarkable to hear people's, like, feedback to it. I mean, we were down in Mexico. I don't know if you've been to Desire or heard about Desire, but we were at one of the Desire resorts uh in Mexico putting on workshops and there were couples that had been together like 40 years 
wow. who had never really known anything about each other sexually, right? They'd just been doing whatever the script right. said to do. Right. Like, now you kiss, now you touch here, now you put it in, and then right. it's done. Right. And they, she came out, and she was crying. Like, she came out of the workshop and was tearful and came up and gave me this huge hug and was like, Thank you so much. You just like, changed my life, my sex life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so powerful. Like, that's beautiful. I right. mean, this is the power of teachable moments, whether it's happening through, you know. A podcast or, yeah, or, yeah, or in one of your classes or directly in front of somebody. Therapy, yeah, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, this is exactly what a teachable moment is about. It's about changing how someone thinks, feels, uh, relates, sees themselves, sees their partners and the world around them from through a sexual lens, which is cool as heck. And aren't we two of the luckiest people in the world to get to, yes. to be a part of that? Yeah, most you know? definitely. Now I have a question for you. Um, yeah. What do you suggest for someone who dates someone who may be autistic or have ADHD or someone who gets sensory overload so they cannot really enjoy or get into the mindset that you want them to? You know, what what is what can you do to to be able to play with them, you know, mentally? Yeah. Yeah, this is a wonderful question and actually whether it's intended or not, it brings up so many other questions, right? Which, which I know is a big debate for some people. Like if you are dating someone who say is like, we'll take the autist on the autism spectrum scale. Right. Um, and maybe they're more, uh, they're more autistic and less kind of Asperger side of that. So it's more right. extreme case. Um, you know, one of the debates is can, can people who are, are that far along on that continuum even consent to sexual activity, right? And we see a similar question emerge around, like, dementia. Can people who have dementia even consent to sexual activities? And, and many, many people in the sex therapy field, um, you know, kind of they come down on this on one side and say, nope, if you, if you aren't, don't have the wherewithal, then you can't consent, and I kind of come down more on the other side of, you know, I think it's a form of sanism, you know, dominant society saying what's sane and what isn't to say that someone loses all their sexual rights simply because they're struggling with a mental health condition. Now, what about uh, someone with like ADHD who is consenting to do it, but they're right. fighting a battle within themselves, so it's hard for them to turn off long enough to focus on, you know, right. the other person. Right. Well, here's what I, I love this question. This is brilliant. I think in those instances, or even in instances of, like, mania, you know, when people are bipolar and they can't, like, focus. Really calm down enough. Right, right. Right. Focus. Or severe depression where they can't, like, you know, uh get out of bed, let alone like become aroused sexually. Like, what do we do in those situations? And I think the thing of it is, is this is why, in my mind, there's different kind of sex, and there's different kinds of connections we have, either with different points, different people or different points in time with the same person. So um, I wouldn't think for someone who has ADHD, or ADD, 
I could see where like tantric practices after they've learned more like in individual therapy and perhaps with psychotropic medication, how to like calm down and be still, that might actually be a kind of sexuality that's helpful, right? In right. making them feel more connected and less less wired and can't sit still. But at the same time, until that happens, there might be other kinds of activity that make way more sense in terms of sexuality. So in a way, we almost need like a menu of sexual activities and options in our relationships that can connect to our partner at different points in time. Or if we're multi-partnered, that we do certain things on this menu with certain partners and we don't do those things on the menu with this partner because right. it's not a good fit. So yeah, what not a good fit. I ask because I date somebody with ADHD and it has yeah. taken me five years to get what? an emotional mm-hmm. connection, not just a physical oh. connection with this person. Yeah. And I've tried Tantra before, but it, 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 he can't. He can't unwind enough for me to be able to do it. So right. I'm like, I, I want to do new things with him. Like, we're going to try anal here in a few weeks and stuff. Yeah. I've never done anal yeah. with him. Um, yeah. So I'm just looking for things like, what can I do, you know, with him right. to keep him, right. you know, emotionally attached in, in touch right. with me. Right. And, and you might, right, I think that trying new things is a really good idea, especially with someone who does have ADD, because part of the issue is not being able to attend to something and focus on it, right? Right. It almost takes, like, I don't mean this in a crude way. No, but it it's an effort. Takes, it takes, like, a video game approach, right? Like, yeah. yes. Okay, let's try this. Now let's try this. Now let's try this. Which is hard if you're someone who likes more emotional connection, you right. know, like, in partnership. And, you know, you could try, if the mirror-mirror activity is something that can be done, that would help with some closeness and... It's not an intense version of Tantra. Right. It's just a very, like, short, focused for a second, and it's something that then could be a form of connectivity that you have in other contexts of sexual activity, right? Right. Um, so it could be used at other times. Um, but I think you're right. Your approach of, I'm going to, you know, we're going to try something new, we're going to do this, that's, that's a good idea. For someone who really um, struggles with, attention and staying focused tantra is like that's the point of tantra right attention and staying focused right and that would be very hard that would be very hard it is um i have clients that struggle and i don't know if you've ever ran into this or seen this happen but i have clients that struggle with seasonal affective like sexual dysfunctional stuff like you probably live somewhere warm so i live somewhere not warm in the winter <laughs> and it gets cold and dark And I have clients, particularly, you know, people with penises or men who come in and they're like, I just, I just can't, you know, make it work today. Like I'm exhausted and my penis doesn't work. And it wasn't until like recently, actually, that I realized, I wonder if this is connected to the change in season and how could it not be? I mean, when it's dark and cold, you know it's hard to become sexually interested, right? Because you're exhausted, it's dark and cold, and fur, which is too bad, because what else would you be doing? I mean, it seems like the perfect time. You have to be in a dark, cold place. Why not spend it in bed, right? But, right. But 
is another issue. I mean, and I really think that your insight into like how do these mental health situations play out sexually is completely spot on. And it's half of the reason why podcasts like this and therapy and education and uh, informal education is so helpful for people because we want people to have awesome sex lives, right? We want people to feel like they're having a good time with each other. So, yeah. And I know that when you've been with somebody for a long time, you know, doing the same thing can feel redundant. And even though we all love sex and we, we love that person that we're with, you know, it can be like, okay, we're just doing the same thing over and over, you know, and yeah, it's, it's pleasing for the moment, but I just, I feel like I want more. And I think that's why a lot of people are, um, inhibited and in asking their partner, Hey, can we try this or try that? So as fear of not offending them, they go yeah. elsewhere. Right. Yeah. To look for those, to look for those needs to be filled. They cer- they certainly do. And, you know, the research shows that 40 to 60%, it's broad because there's multiple studies and they don't all agree. 40 to 60% of long-term supposedly monogamous relationships, people are, are practicing non-consensual non-monogamy. So infidelity, I mean, and we know, we know it's probably higher than that. And I agree with you. A lot of that is feeling like you can't talk to your partner um, about sexual needs and wants and desires and have it be heard and, and responded to in a way that's positive. And instead of hurting them, going out and getting those needs met elsewhere. I totally think that is almost always what happens when people are, are in an infidelitous situation. Yeah, I do. Right. Um, and it might not even be sexual needs. I mean, sometimes the need is an emotional connection. Um, it's, you know, like, that's true. That's true. Because the one that I date is, you know, he is, it's like he said, he's incapable and unwilling to with anybody else try and express love or have a connection but with me but with me he has you know and I have to take a step back and look at his actions I can't go off of words you know and like and and see he went to he's an ex-NBA player so he went to college at the time um for psychology wow Exactly. So I'm dealing with all kinds of other issues, you know, on top of it here. (laughs) So, you know, I have to take a step back and I've done so much reading and so much research, you know, on, you know, ADHD and relationships, ADHD and intimacy, ADHD and kissing. And, you know, because he's not a kisser, but he will kiss my forehead. And I used to get so pissed off that he would only kiss me on the forehead. So then I had to to look up because I'm like Google queen. You yeah, know, I had to look up and say, you know, what do for- <laughs> what do forehead kisses mean? Why does somebody, you yeah. know, do that? And it's actually it's kind of endearing because it's actually a form of respect and a form of, you know, I'm here to protect you. Yeah. And yeah, and I, we actually talked about it. I said, you know, you pissed me off before because I was like. What the fuck is wrong? Like, why won't you kiss me? Why are you only giving me forehead kisses? I said, Aww. and then I understood, you know, once I read and, and heard from other people who deal with that or who do that, you know, that it's more of a sign of respect than out of lust. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's really cool. That makes perfect sense to me because I really, I really enjoy forehead kisses. And I agree with you. It actually 
just intuitively, it feels that way. It feels right. like, um, well, they're kissing really your third eye. It's like they're kissing your third oh, eye. Oh yeah. Hey, look at that. Yeah. It all connects back, doesn't it? So, I mean, that really is, that's a beautiful form of affection that he shows you. And at the same time, it was probably really confusing because it's like, I don't understand. Do you just not want to make out with my lips? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, it, it took me a minute. But then I had to take a step back in trying to get into his mind and his world and the way that he thinks. Because we all get caught up in a day in how we think. And we think it's that everybody so else thinks and acts the same way we do. It's so true. And it's so true. And especially when it comes to sex, even though we know that everybody's different, we kind of have these assumptions that, oh, well, everybody does this. Or everybody likes this because we're given this script, you know, like this is what it means. Right. And that's not the case. Like anytime people can change the script, I think that really, really helps. Like I'm doing something different. Um, now I can be more intentional about it and not so robotic, which sounds funny given the earlier conversation, but I don't have to be so robotic because, you know, I'm not just doing what I think I should be doing. I'm doing what I'm making up kind of on the spot here with this person, right? So right. I think getting away from a script is powerful. And, and if the script is even something so different as, well, we kiss each other on the forehead rather than making out with our lips all the time, that's already kind of different. And that's really cool. Like, I, yeah. I enjoy being kissed on the forehead. I could probably do with more of that, actually, now that I think about it. So. <laughs> that should be something I show my partner in Mirror Mirror during the next Tantra workshop. <laughs> Here's what I want. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and you got to think outside the box, not just with, you know, every day and, and what you do, but, you know, even in sex. Yep. You know, oh, totally. Yeah. Creativity is really important. Intimacy, sex. I should say, really? you know, in intimacy. Absolutely. Like, and only one part of intimacy is sexual. A big part of it, like you're saying, is this emotional component and the communication and feeling close to someone. I mean, and the sex is one big part of it, but it's definitely more than that. So, and, and that's what's so great you know, that's what I love about the work I do is especially with couples. I mean, sometimes I'm talking about sex, but a lot of times it's just helping people turn towards each other and really be able to say, you know, I love you. And here's why, like, it's hard for people to say that sometimes. Men not... especially. Yeah. Well, gosh, right. They're, they're given no ability to say that. I like understand. Society... They have to have that manly, you know, face forward and you can't show emotion without being called weak. Exactly. Unless it's anger, which what have we done to men, right? The only emotion right. they're really allowed to show is anger. That's not going to help in a relationship. No. In fact, that's going to be pretty toxic at the end of the day. So I do think, I do think helping people just be able to feel more connected and say what I think is easy to say, you know, I love you and I care about you. That's not so easy. That's really true. No, it's not. I mean, you know, you'd have to take about half of mine's teeth out to get him to say anything to me <laughs> like that. Totally. And I'm sure a lot of people are that way. But it's it's what, you know, our partners want to hear. You know, I don't I don't hesitate to tell him I love you and send him smiley faces with hard eyes and stuff like that because you know, I understand, you know, that with him, it, every day is a constant battle just to get a thought processed, 
you know, so to have to express yourself on top of it is, you know, almost yeah. impossible. And, you know, and then they're fearful, you know, most men who yeah. can't express themselves are fearful that if they do, now they've made themselves vulnerable. Right. Right. And I also really like that you use text-based communication too, because that might actually be really helpful for someone who struggles with expressing their feelings and also uh, experiences attention issues. Because I do, because he can refer back to it and process it at his own, you know, speed and pace. And also because I don't want him to feel like he's on the spot. Like I even sent him a, you're amazing text this morning. You know, and just said, look, I think you're so amazing. I hope that at the end of the day that you feel as amazing, that I make you feel the way you do me. You know, make this day your bitch. Go out there and get it. You know, you're the best, you know. And and then if, if I want to present something to him that I want him to try or do, I text that as well. Because, again, I don't want him to feel on the spot like he has to give me a response or a reply or a look or something. And it's less yeah. intimidating. And I will admit that, you know, when I do it that way with him, he does not hesitate the next time he sees me to do exactly what I requested. Wow. See, that's powerful. That's powerful right there. I mean, if there was some way somehow magically to incorporate like, well, the technology into the attentiveness that, you know, for sex, for sex stuff, that would be awesome because that yeah. would be the solution right there. That's something for me to put my mind on. <laughs> like how to do that, how to do that. Because I thought, you know, that's really intuitive of you to recognize like, hey, when I send this, like in text-based communication, he's able to process that. And that way he can do these things. You know what I mean? He can say things, do things, meet needs, because it's so, it's so nice to have it right there that you can refer back to. I totally agree. That's the beauty of it. Because if you have attention issues, trying to like, remember everything you've heard is really challenging. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like you have a party going on inside your mind. Of constantly, of- constantly. And you got like 17 yeah. parties going on in your mind, you know, <laughs> and you'll hear the first two sentences and then you're like, oh, look at that bird over there. And they're still blah, 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 blah in your ear. You know, <laughs> hardly none of which are guests you actually invited to your, your mind. Party. <laughs> Not at all. Like a- in fact, you bitches <laughs> need to shut up. I'm trying to make a point here. Yeah, Yeah, and and this is, you know, we're totally not laughing at people who have this situation. We're laughing at our pain. We're laughing at our pain because, you know, this is a constant struggle. And it's been five years of a constant struggle. And it wasn't until recently that he, you know, finally was, he opened up to me just a little bit. And that was all I needed was just that little bit. Because I was like, I am one foot out the door, dude. I am so sick of feeling unappreciated, unwanted, unloved. You know, I just need to know. I need you to tell me, like, look, do you do you give a fuck about me or not? You know, because I'm trying. I'm beating myself up and everything. And then he finally, after all this time, he knew I was done. He knew I was fed up. I was done. And he's like, okay, I better do this or (laughs) I'm going to lose this. And he didn't want to lose me. So, you know. Such a tremendous sense of trust that he has in you to open up like that after that amount of time and appreciation and love. 
And it sounds like it took a long time for him to finally say these things and realize these things. But he's lucky that that you appreciate, you know, how much trust he has in you. Yeah. Um, because that's hard. It I mean, is. it is. It and is. it's hard to be patient with someone when we're feeling, you know, invalidated in who we are and, and unappreciated. It's really hard. And mm-hmm. I agree with you. Struggling with mental health issues is certainly not funny. Humor, however, is a great form of healing. Um, But I do think that, I mean, I've had partners that have mental health struggles, and it is really challenging, and it's hard to stay patient. Like, you know, on the one hand, you want to be kind and considerate and and be this amazing, like, I can do this. I have all the patience in the world. But on the other hand, you're like, you just got to throw me a little bit. Something. (laughs) Just say yes. (laughs) Please, you know, like, I I know I'm awesome, and I'm pretty dang confident and amazing and empowered, but I do need you to throw me a little bit my way to, to you know, help me. And, and you that. know what, those are the exact words that I use other than empowered <laughs> that I use with him. Exactly. Uh, I'm right here with you. Right yes. With you. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's only him that I want, regardless of the time that we spend apart. Because he's busy with his own businesses and stuff. And I don't need nobody laid up under me. You know, I understand sure. that we get a, we get sure. time together a few times a week. We speak on the phone probably two, three times a week. And the rest of the time, you know, I text him. He don't really even reply. And, yeah. And I'm okay with that because... I know he got it because, like I said, when he's in front of me, then we discuss, right. you know what. So whatever, it's, it's like I told him, I will roll with you at your pace. You know, let's yep. let's just yep, just give me something here. Make me feel like you want me around. Right. Yeah, and it's tricky. I mean, all relationships are hard. I mean, some people might think, you know, you, people have it all figured out if they know about sex or they know about relationships. But guess what? They're still hard because we're humans. And I mean, I love my partner to death, but I mean, it's not the easiest relationship sometimes. I mean, I I think we all struggle with relationship stuff. And And they take work. It takes work on both sides. It sure does. It's a job. It's a full-time job for both people. It is. It is. And and I'm fortunate that that's a choice and I choose that because I, you know, I'm in love with my partner. So that's great. Um, But it is definitely like a full time job. Right. Right. Well, thank you for other jobs and their jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thank you so much for your time and your help and your advice. Wonderful. And I can't wait to see you at the Adult Film Festival in Las Vegas. And if people want to check out any of my stuff, they can go to drmarkey.com. So, thank you. Thank you. Have a beautiful afternoon. Oh, out you there. too, my dear. Thanks again. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you learned something from this teachable moment. Join us next week for more moments like this.
Come on.